This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When did you first think that coaching was going to be what you did after after your playing days? So when I retired, I can't even remember the day I retired. I was probably retired. West Ham probably West Ham fans probably think I retired in two thousand and seven with all the injuries I had. So uh, yeah, so when I retired, sort of, I was going to say, is that the sort of thing you think about when you're injured? Uh, oh, it was just. It just pained me at West Ham because I think I I like the West Ham fans because I think they're quite a knowledgeable lot of fans and um, I could just never show them the best of me. And at, at this stage of my career, I was the most dedicated with regards to eating the right, didn't drink alcohol, first into training, last out of training. Um, and I could just never stay fit again. We were saying, could it be this? How many games I played at a younger age? Probably, probably that's a part to play. The way I was living my life in my prime, with we were partying non-stop and drinking, and like I said, living the life of a celebrity and not a footballer. That obviously caught up to me massively. So, it like I said, I just wanted the West Ham fans to see the real me and to break my leg three games into my career in my prime that does it does rile me because I really like their fans I thought their fans were considering the money I probably cost with regards to wages and how little I was on the pitch they were they were very patient and very good to me and yeah like I said I just just couldn't get myself fit enough to do to show them what I was about um but yeah, so I wasn't thinking of retirement. I, as a player, you want to just you always think that someone could get you right. You're going to see the right specialist. I had Andy Rolls as my um, West Ham physio at the time. He came in probably second or third year. I was at West Ham, so I probably had eighteen months, two years with Rollsy. Um, so I know what Rolls is going to offer here. Um, and yeah. Um, we tried everything, literally everything. I just couldn't stay fit and I couldn't wait to retire, honestly. It was just like, it was a huge weight lifted off my shoulder because the last, like I said, five years of my career was just going to see specialists all over the world and having the humiliation of breaking down. There's nothing worse. So like I said, I was playing at West Ham. I pulled my thigh, pulled my thigh after 20 minutes and then carry on to half time because I just didn't want the board going up and the oh the groans and that. I just was so embarrassed. Even even when I came back to Ipswich online, I think Phil knows the story. I don't know if you know Ben, but um so I came back, Paul Jewell rings me on Friday morning and says, Can you come in? We'd like you online for a month. It'll be benefit you. You can get fit to go back to West Ham. So I rush around on Friday, all my boots and stuff are at um 
at West Ham and I had special orthotics in my boots um, because of my injuries, my leg. These orthotics got me right balanced. So I didn't have my boots. So I used Paul Jules boots and uh, we joined in training and it was probably the last five minutes of training. I pulled my thigh. I can see, feel my thigh completely pull. And I was so embarrassed. It was like a local lad coming home. There was a big, like, uh, Kieran's coming back to Ipswich. I played Leeds. I played probably 80 minutes in absolute agony. Honestly, I can remember just thinking, I just cannot tell you. It's just like, it's the most embarrassing thing ever. So I played 80 minutes against Leeds with a probably a grey two five strain. And then we had a game on the following Tuesday against Watford. And I can remember Paul Jules saying, yeah, you have a recovery day. And I was trying to convince him that oh, I, I can't play, like playing two games in a short, because uh, I didn't want to tell him about my fight. And he must have looked at me and gone, are you winding me up? You haven't played football for so long and you're telling me you don't want to play at Portman Road against Watford. But I was just so embarrassed. So I, I convinced him to play. I'll start on the bench. And then we came. What I came on and we got battered by Watford. I think Danny Graham scored a couple. And my fight was killing me again. And then we had Stockport coming up at home. And we were doing shape on the Friday. And I just thought, I'm just going to have to own up. And I just put my hand in and said, oh, my fight's hurt. And I walked in and I could see Paul Jewell shaking his head like, this guy doesn't even love football. He just... And it wasn't, it was just the embarrassment of the injuries. That's how bad it got. So, like, my big return to Ipswich was just, like, within my first training session, I popped my thigh. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Because what? Anyway, I can't remember the question yet. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, sorry, so we just went on a complete different tangent. Yeah, so, yeah. But what actually so, ended your career was the sort of ability to recover from games, wasn't it? You, you, were, you were playing a game yeah, on a Saturday, but weren't yeah. able to recover. Yeah, that was, but that's old age. I think that recovers everyone. <laughs> where, where they say, they always say forty-eight hours is probably when you feel the worst after a game. Um, so if we play a game on the Saturday, the Monday is when we do very little. It's just open up your legs. It's just like a long warm-up. Really, you might have some boxes, little five-sided, and then you go. But so say if I played on the Saturday, my legs would still be. Fucked until Thursday, and I was like, "This, this is this is time for me to just call it a day." But yeah, sorry. Well, yeah. So when I retired, I was quite fortunate that I was financially okay. So I just thought, "I'm going to have a year out, um, enjoy life, enjoy the golf course, go to all the sporting events that I always said I wanted to go." So I went to like. Mayweather fights, Mayweather Pacquiao, UFC events. I always said I was going to go to a WrestleMania, but I never went to a WrestleMania. I was going to go to a Super Bowl. And in the time being, I was doing the odd media gig. And I've had a lot of offers to do a lot of media stuff. Um, but I don't, I don't like to be these players because I think you have to be more and more controversial. They love it for clickbaits. I'm not on social media, but I hear clickbaits and... They love the Vikings and the world because they give you headlines for day. And I remember, like I said, I, when I was a player, I hate when ex-player used to criticise players and I didn't really want to be a hypocrite and just hammering players for the sake of hammering players. Um, and it was Lee and Brian. They said, why don't you come in and um, do some coaching? So I, um, I came in and I worked with Liam Mannings at Ipswich under six. And you know, I did enjoy the coaching, but I didn't, I left quite early because I didn't enjoy what I see at the football club. If I'm being honest, just the way, again, why I think that I'm really big on standards now as a coach, because I think why I'm so big on standards is because I know if you take your eye off the ball, your standards are not at a, at a certain level, the game will just go by without you. I've lived that. I could say, look at me. This is what happens if you don't have the standards. You are should be having all these English clubs and playing for all these big clubs and you didn't achieve it. So when I'm talking standards, I think I'm the perfect example and that's why I'm so high on demand in it. And when I came back into the club, I just, I didn't, 
feel right with what I was seeing. So I kind of let it be. But I did always like the the coaching bug. I did have the coaching bug and I got my coaching badges. And like I said, I was doing a bit of media, um, but nothing concrete. And then um, so I think it was about 18 months later, BK comes and sits me down and says, listen, you could be a real asset. Um, pitched his idea of what he see the club's future would be. And um, that's when I did the 18s with ads. And uh, like I said, I was quite fortunate that year that we had a very good age group. Um, Idris, Almazuni and Dobbs were the two standouts. Obviously, we didn't really have Bailey and Dylan Crow that much that season because they were playing regularly for the 23s. Um, but we had a real, real good youth team and, I just loved, I just loved seeing your work during the week, come out on the training pitch and seeing how, especially like I said, I, I mentioned Idy and Dobbs because they were probably the two standouts of the year and to see how their games developed was just like, I loved that. I get more benefit out of seeing that than I did then seeing me do well, if you know what I mean. So I definitely had the bug and the only problem I hated with the 18s is that and again, there's, this is not a knock on the parents. The pa parents care for their well-being, but if you don't pick a player, you have to deal with why is an email, why is my son not playing? You have to have meetings. And I was like, I don't like that side of the game. So I was quite fortunate then that Craig Bellamy had gone over to um, Belgium with Vincent Company. And um, he told me to just come over and... Uh, work with them and watch them and shadow them. And when I went over there and to speak to Vincent company, who's been probably playing the last three, four years, of his career under Pep, just hearing stories of Pep and philosophies and patterns and just blew my mind away. So I love the fact that, um, I got that experience. And then, like I said, again, Lee and, uh, Brian always on the phone to me constantly and said, look, we feel there could be a role for you with 23s, which are young men. You don't have to worry about the parent side. Um, and this was probably on talks for a while, but then obviously the COVID hit, didn't it? So obviously Marcus was not going to give the green light to anything because he likes to save money and <laughs> as, as he, as he does. And, um, yeah, once the season resumed and I was given the green light to um, do the 23s and to work with Terry Butcher and to work with these players, it was it was a great natural progression for my coaching career, which I, I'm hooked and I always want to do the the coaching gig, even, even if, like I said, the new owners came in and you've seen a lot of departures going from... <clears throat> from the um, the staff point of view and if I was one of them I wouldn't give up this dream I want to I want to better myself as a coach and want to make players better and let's see where it takes me What about the coaches you've worked with then because obviously we, we talk about the sort of lineage of Sir Bobby who you worked with at Newcastle George who of course was was, was one of his players at, in, in the great town team and of course Terry as well that you're working with now who, who are the, the people who've most influenced how you coach or, or look at management it's crazy to think uh, and i don't mean this disrespectful for probably the era that i played in in the era before i know that you could say that bobby was one of the first to play eric gates in a number 10 role but in our days it was basically a 4-4-2 versus a 4-4-2 you might throw in a 3-5-2 but there wasn't inverted fullbacks the way it is now and the false fullback position and creating overloads and the goalkeepers were not ball playing goalkeepers who created overloads on the pitch so and I don't want to sound disrespectful to my era or to the coaches in my era because Sir Bobby Robson's one of the greatest managers of all time but I just think I look at all the coaches that influenced and the, that were the best for me in my career and why they were so great was their man management skill. And even in today's football, you look at Mourinho, 
who's probably one of the greatest managers of all time, it's pretty pretty obvious to everyone from the outsiders that he lost the change room at Man United. There was his big issues with Pogba and even the way he treated Luke Shaw and the Daily Alleys. And you need players to keep your jobs nowadays. In Sir Alex Ferguson, Sir Bobby's thing, you had time as a manager. You got a six-year punt at it, four or five years. So you can show who's the boss. Because if players don't listen to you, you get them out and you bring players who. But in today's football, especially in today's football, where you're given three, four months, well, Paul Hurst had 10 games. It just goes to show you how how much players, um, how managers need the players. So I always used to say that, obviously the manager should be the most important player person in the club. But if I was going into the, I want to one day be a manager and go into that side of football, you have to play the game, I think. And you have to show, kind of say to the players, you're just as important as me because basically I need you more than you need me. And if you get a few promotions and you get a successful year, which buys you time, then you can then be the real boss. So, um, all the best managers, Bobby Robson, uh, George Burley, even Tony Mowbray, who had a short spell at Middlesbrough towards the end of my career, Neil Warnock. Again, it's not so much for their what they do on the training pitch, it's what they do to make every player feel special. <clears throat> so back then, obviously, the way the game's going you do have to have a real tactical element and you have to be a real good coach to get your methods apart. apart. But you need the whole the whole package to that today because if you ain't got the man management skills, you could be the best, greatest coach ever in the world and you will get sacked because you need the players on your side. So it's a massive, a massive balancing jack. And that's one of the things that intrigued me. So like I said, I'm so thankful for Paul Cook. I'm thankful for Mick McCarthy. I was thankful for Tony Mowbray. I've gone to go to Blackburn and visit him and pick his brains. I, I pick people's brains. I've got Brendan Rogers. I can ring, go and visit any time and pick his brains. And listen, there's no right or wrong way of coaching it, but I just like to nitpick and I'll take that. I'll take that from you and nick that. And hopefully when I'm ready to go in a manager or if I ever get the opportunity as a first team coach, I know I can bring what I've learned and hopefully have a, have a decent, a decent crack of it. Cause it's a very, a very tough gig. And, um, I just love the, as a player, you're in a team environment, but you're kind of selfish after the game. It's you're self critical on yourself. You don't start, but he was crap. Titus done another blunder. <laughs> <laughs> David Johnson missed another own goal. You don't really think of that as a player, but as a manager, you take the responsibility of everything on your shoulders. Was the warm-up right? Was my tactics right? Why was he not right? Did I not give him the instructions? It's a whole package, and I just love that kind of... You don't just think about yourself. You think about everybody, and it's a great buzz when it goes right. And, like, obviously, the last game of the season when we played Sheffield United, it's a lonely place when you're at Bramall Lane and you're 4-0 down and you're looking at the clock and there's still five minutes to go to half-time and you go... <laughs> Even then, you're preparing. What do you say at half-time? They're going to be low. How can I pick them up? They're probably expecting a bollocking. All these things are going through your brain while the game's going on. So you've still got to watch the game, see how you can change the game. But already I'm thinking team talk. <coughs> They're going to be at the lowest lows. It's the biggest game of the season. And they've already lost the game at half-time. It's just so fascinating. Mm. And, that's, and that's at only 20, under 23 level without the kind of crowd yeah. aspect and without the media aspect and all that kind of thing. And this is sort of what you talked about after the Shrewsbury game, what you were learning sitting in the dugout with Paul Cook. Yep. Yeah. Um, and the crazy thing, Paul Cook always laughs about it because when Paul Lambert lost his job, if someone would have said to me, if the Ipswich job was offered to you, are you, would you be ready for it? And I'd go, 100%. I'd easily be ready for the job. And I think from a football point of view, of my football ideas and coaching the team, I would be okay for it. But all the other stuff around it, 
it would just be it would be it's just been eye open for me to see what the manager has to deal with and like uh, it's absolutely a bonkers world out there. Um, so, like I said, it has made me get a reality check that maybe I've got a lot a lot more to learn. And um, again, I'm just thankful that the manager seems to have um, built up some trust in me and shown me a lot of faith. And um, his door is always open. And, and I love that. Even Mick in his own way. Mick was a complete different... Mick, Mick was more... I don't want to sound, make sound this thing, but Milk was all first team. It was all really about the first team. Obviously, he wants the youth team and everyone to do well, but his main focus was the youth team. He was the alpha male. He was very polite in the way he was the alpha male, but everyone knew he was the alpha male, if you know what I mean. And You could ask Mick anything and he'd always kind of give you his verdict, but sometimes I felt that I kept questioning him, I kept questioning him, I'd become a burden, if you know what I mean. It'd be like, oh, here he goes, what does he want again? A nagging little coach, I've got to focus on him. But And that's not a knock on Paul, because, I mean, on Mick, because, like you said, the first team is, it's, it's, it's not a nine-to-five job, it's a, like a seven o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at nine job, being a first team manager. People take this stuff home with them. Even under 23s, I take an under 23s result home with me. That's one of the things I've got to learn. I have got to, once the game, I've got to learn how to switch off and then I don't take it into my home life. Um, so, why, when I was just talking about Mick and Paul, what well, Paul's door is always open. I can just, I could be in his office for an hour just battering him with questions and he'd just laugh and just answer all the questions because he just laughs. He goes, you thought you were ready for this job, didn't you? And he just laughs at me, goes, <laughs> you have no idea. That's just like, wow. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Because you got on quite well with Paul Hurst, didn't you, as well? Um, I got on probably more with Doigie, which was, it didn't make me laugh, is that it, if you ask, oh, I've got a lot of Ipswich fans who are, my friends and they say Paul uh, Daigie was a dick and Daigie was a bully and Daigie was this and that and this and that. But what I loved about Daigie was what he showed for the academy. People didn't see that. They came to every academy game that they could come and watch. Every afternoon they would come and watch us when we had our afternoon session. Daigie would come out and take sessions for the lads and show them how the first team won to press the ball, how the first team want to build from the back. And I love that because when, and I, people say, well, that's disrespectful because I could be doing a session and then a first team manager comes out and the intensity just rises. And you could say, well, that's disrespectful and you as a coach. And I'm, No, no, no. I've been there. I've been a player. When you see a manager showing an interest in you, you can't, honestly, you find this adrenaline from somewhere with, deep within because everyone wants to impress the first team manager. It's just the way the world is. That's why you have a pecking order. And what I loved about them, they were, they were always there and they empowered the kids. Oh, my God, the first team manager wants to come and watch us. You know what I mean? That's so empowering. So I did get on well with Paul Erston. I did get on well with Chris Dyke. And it was more so because of what they did for the kids. And I'll never forget that. So when I heard the stories about the bullies of the first team, I can't comment on that because they train on the other side of the road to us. <clears throat> but I always say as well, I've been a player. When we're players, we always want to make excuses. It's always a manager's fault. It's always this fault. We never want to look at ourselves in the mirror. I've been there. It's never our fault. The tactics are crap. The manager's crap. Physio's crap. The sports science is crap. It's, that's just the way the world of the footballers are. Man. Listen, it's not a knock. I'm not knocking our footballers at our football club. I was a footballer. I was the exact same position as them. And like I said against Shrewsbury, well, hang on a minute. It was Paul Hurst who was the problem. Okay, so we get rid of Paul Hurst. Oh, was it Paul Lambert was the problem? Oh, okay, we'll get rid of Paul Hurst. Oh, so it's Paul Cook now. When is it realised? When, when are we all going to come in and have some realisation and go, okay, they could be part of the problem, the managers, but maybe it's us as well. That's why I even dug out the academy coaches, because we always talk about how great our academy is. Well, 
why haven't we sold a player for six and a half million like you sold me? Why haven't we sold, sold a five million pound title as a Darren Ambrose, a James Crocroft, a Richard White? We're selling and you can you can say, okay, well, you don't know what a Ben Knights would go for or Charlie Brown, but we need to do our jobs better so we have six million pound players. I don't want to see our players struggling in a, a League One side. I want to see our players absolutely tearing this league to pieces and going on to represent their country. So if we're not producing that, I take that as my responsibility as well. I'm not going to say, well, it's because our first team are this and that. Or No, no. As an academy coach, I have to be better to get these players up to a level that I feel that their potential should be. So we have to fulfill their potential. Oh. I hate this excuse. I had it my whole career, and one of the one of the good things with me now, I've had time to reflect. I'm very self-critical. I can hold my hand up and say I was a dick when I was a younger lad. I didn't live my life right, and that's why my standards are so high now. Because if you let your standards go, you are done. Oh. So yeah, oh. I I just that's what's so great about the coaching. My experiences as a player and having this, I just tried to pass on all the information and. Let's see where these kids go with it. Whether you want to protect yourself whilst online or just get access to more streaming content, NordVPN has the solution for you and are now in partnership with us here at Blue Monday. NordVPN can be your cyber bodyguard whilst you're browsing online, but it also allows you to access more streaming content from abroad like sporting events, box sets or films. With one click of a button, NordVPN can digitally transport you to the US, Australia or Amsterdam. For the price of an ITFC match programme each month, you can subscribe to NordVPN and have access to these great services. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, head to nordvpn.com slash bluemonday or click the link in the podcast description. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, so get yourself a great deal and support the podcast in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with McDelivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mm. You mentioned Ben Knights and I think people talk about Marcello Flores as well. And If you'd have been uh, coming through now, would you have ended up at Manchester City as a 16-year-old or Chelsea as a 16-year-old, do you think? No, because George Burley was our manager and George Burley would play me. If I was a kid... If I was a kid in the George Burley era, then I think the Ben Knights and that would stay here. I really do because, okay, say they could get offered 500, 600 quid a week here and a Man City, they could be on five, six grand a week. The way I look at it is that if they make 20 games in the first team back to back to back, they're already going up to the grands and grands a week and they're getting that first team football that the Chelsea players or the Man City players ain't getting. So I just feel that if you're a young player, as a parent and as a young player, you just look at the pathway of a football club and is my pathway blocked? And again, this is not a knock on Mick McCarthy. Mick McCarthy wanted a team of men. Mick McCarthy wanted a team of people he could trust. Mick McCarthy wanted consistency. <coughs> Teddy Bishop couldn't play in Mick McCarthy's team until he learned the ugly side of the game. Simple as that. When he learnt the ugly side of the game, Teddy Bishop was a Mick McCarthy player. Andre Dazel flitted in and out of the team with Mick McCarthy because he didn't do the ugly side of the game. So, again, I think if Ben, when Ben Knights and that, they're seeing a, a Mick McCarthy and they're going, well, phew, I'm four foot <laughs> 11, whatever. I'm a totally different player. But then I'm, and then. My argument to Ben Knight's, well, well, hang on a minute, he did sign Ryan Fraser on loan, he did sign Selena on loan. If you're good enough and you do the ugly side, he did sign with Tom Lawrence. It's not like he has a team of 11 workhorses, he has flair players. So I just feel that as a kid, you have to see a pathway in the first team where you can go on and flourish. And for whatever reason, over the last three years, maybe us going down the league as well, hasn't helped that progress, uh, process. So the sooner we get better at this league and into a championship, or even if we get into a cap one status, then who knows? Um, but yeah, um, we can't keep afford to losing our best players. And again, we say best players, we can't 
like Flynn. We struggled to get Crystal Palace to pay 1.9 million for Flynn. We should be, if Flynn's, we're saying our crown jewel in the academy, we should be open that we're getting five, six million for Flynn down. So, again, we have to do better as a as a package, as a football club, to make these players six million pound players. It can't be all on Flynn Downs why he's not a six million pound player. Mm, mm. So, 23s, and you, you did allude to your Sheffield United match. We'll gloss over that game, but <laughs> a successful season uh, up to that point, really. The greatest thing about the 23s football is I'm quite, I'm quite, what's the word? I like to be organised. And what's so great about when you're a first team manager is that you pick your numbers, how many numbers are training with you, you pick what you're doing, what pitches you're using, blah, de, blah, de, blah. With the under 23s, you cannot plan for anything. So you've got an idea in your head that you've got 20 players and we're going to be working on a counter press, for example, and then the manager comes in 20 minutes before your session and go, I need 12 of your players, we're doing shape, and you're ended up with eight players. You have to just go off the cuff. And it is the best learning. It is the best learning thing for me because now I think if – Anything was thrown my way, right? You've got three players. You, we need to do something on a pattern of play that would happen in the game. Get on with it. I could just go, bah, 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 bah. and that's all because of the unpredictability where you just have to adapt and change. Where probably when I was in the under 18s with ads, and then I'd gone to and with the bigger clubs and with the bigger players, you know exactly what numbers you've got, you know exactly what's happening. And probably the best learning device I've had with the 23s is the unpredictability. And it prepares you for, listen, I wouldn't want to work like that all the time. Trust me, I like to speak to my sports scientists, what kind of targets we're going to hit for the data with the distance we're going to do in this training system. We all plan it the night the night before. But sometimes, like I said, things are out of your hand, the players, there's injuries, they need to do something. And then all of a sudden, we've got our three players and we've got a real high intense day. I've got to hit a total distance of like 6,000, 6K and a thousand hot and you think you've only got three players, but you just have to think of, you have to put this guy's running in sessions and stuff like that. So I've loved that aspect of it. Um, probably what I haven't l- liked is that in the 23s football this season, I think we use 62 players, which is really, really high. Listen, it's been well documented how many, how many pros we had at the football club with regards, but to have 62 players, Playing the 23s is a, is a lot. Um, I Obviously, Chris Hogg went on to Newcastle and I spoke to Chris Hogg and I just, by chance, and I said, how many players have you used this season in your 23s? And they're a Premier League club and they were only up to like 40. So we've used 22 more players than like a Premier League cap one team for under 23s. And again, all you want is kind of try to get a consistent base. Not so much for, for me, it's more for the players. So they get that they build the relationships on the pitch. And when you're saying you've got 60 odd players, it's, it's a nightmare. And, um, that's something that, uh, myself and, um, uh, the Academy coaches and speaking to the manager. And obviously when Mark Ashton starts and Rolsey, we will have to find a, probably a path of getting more of our players on loans whether they're playing men's football locally for the Laystons and the Needhams and that um, because we can't I just don't think that's right that using 62 players <clears throat> it's just not fair on them mm. Are some first team managers more helpful than others when it comes to the 23s? In terms yeah, of your of course, job yeah. as well, a 23 manager Well again it's crazy because if you're a 23 manager in a way you're buzzing when you get given first team players but me and Terry were like I hope we don't get any first team players this time one because (laughs) we'd work with the players the younger players all week and also I was quite fortunate that I've always said this to Terry that we were probably quite fortunate that when we were first team players 
there was not many times in our career where we were bombed out and having to go back down and play reserves. I only had to play reserves if I was coming back from an injury or something to give me some game time. So the dynamics of players, some players feel it's a chore going back to the 23s. You have to give them a G up. You don't know what you're going to get. Are they going to try a leg? Obviously, the manager's saying if they don't try a leg, you take them off after 20 minutes. I don't want to humiliate a player. You know, you know it's, it's sometimes hard. So when first-team players have got their mind right and they they go, right, this is fitness at the end of the day, I love it because we can say to the young lads, this is the standard to get into the first team when they do it properly. They lead by example. It's just, it can go the other way when they're meant to be leader by example and I'm big on standards and then they're not really putting it into the game and the young lads are seeing that. I think that sets off a bad example. So it is a tough one. Um, like I said, uh, hopefully the squad's smaller and we don't get so many first team players next season. That's just my preference on it because I like to, the players that we work with. Um, but I know that there's going to be players coming back from injuries or needing games or need to be topped up and so be it. You just have to, again, it's one of the things you have to adapt. You give them pep talks beforehand and say, um, um, well, what was pleasing, I think we played Bristol. We played Bristol at home. We had Freddie Sears, we had Aaron Dryden and we had Dobbs. They all played and I think we beat Bristol City 4-2 at home and the gaffer came and watched and they all made the squad the following week and I think... Um, Freddie Sears started the next game. I can't remember who it was against. <clears throat> it might have been Wigan away or something. They all were involved in a game. And that was good because you can go, see, if you do it properly in the under-23s, this is what happened. You get rewarded in the first team. But again, you and you, you and the manager of the first team have to kind of be on, on par with that. And like I said, I think I've got a, a, a decent relation with Paul Cook and something that will hopefully benefit the 23s and the first team players who need fitness. Mm. He said at his press, I think one of his last press conferences about the first meeting he had with you. And he said, I didn't expect it to be a very good meeting. He said, <laughs> um, and then he came out sort of after half an hour sort of impressed. What, what did you say to him? <laughs> can you tell us what you said to him? <laughs> what I can remember is we played Accrington Stanley and I think it was, he was there, but he wasn't officially doing the game. It was uh, Matt Gill and Brian. And um, Lee rung us up the day of the game and said that the following day on the Wednesday that you've got 10-minute meetings with uh, the manager. Uh, he wants to speak to you, Nashi and Brian. Uh, you, Nashi and Terry. He just wants to say hello, pick your brains about things, just a, a general kind of introduction and... Um, it's funny because I always go, it does make me laugh, but I just go, they obviously probably have heard a lot of stories about the younger me and they're probably ruling me off before they're even started. It's just, it just happens. If you ask random people up and down the country, what do you think of Kieran? They'll say, it's probably a knob. <laughs> <laughs> it's something you've got to deal with because like I said, probably from the age of 21 to 27, I was acting like a knob. So, I don't think they're in harsh in what they're saying. So, obviously, when I sat sat with the manager, I didn't. Again, I'd heard I'd heard my I'd heard heard things about him. If you know what I mean, I got told certain things and certain traits about him. So I went into the meeting expecting a different kind of Paul Cook. If you know what I mean, and what was crazy was it was meant to be a ten minutes meet ten minute meeting, and I was in there for an hour and five minutes. And we were just talking football and feeding off each other's energy. And I can remember coming out with a smile on my face and Lee, Lee I think Leo Neil said to the manager, bloody hell, you're one of the first to put a smile on his face for the last couple of weeks <laughs> or something. <laughs> and I was absolutely buzzing. Like, he did. He gave me that enthusiasm, that buzz again, which probably, and I don't want to, again, it's not having a knock on Paul Lambert. Paul Lambert didn't really... Paul Lambert was a game. It's about first team. He was under a lot of pressure to get um, promoted. So he had no time for me. Listen, 
I'm not knocking him for that because I've seen if you don't get the results, you lose your job. You've got bigger fish to fry and worry about. So, but so I was probably feeling a bit. Maybe I have to move on from this club. I'm just not getting any kind of energy or energy back. What I think, and then like I said, just one meeting with Paul Cook, and I'm going, wow, I really like this guy. I really like his energy. Um, and don't be fooled, like I said, don't be fooled by the the energy and the, the shouting on the touchline and the throwing the cup of teas and this and that. The guy knows his football. Like You watch a game of football with him, he doesn't miss a trick. He'll pick up something that a centre-half's doing while I'm watching the ball out in the left-wing thing. And He's a real student of the game. And um, Yeah, uh, I'm really looking forward to next season, not just for the 23s of my individual journey, but... Um, I really think it's going to be a good season for Ipswich Town. Is it? Um, do, do, really you feel, do. do you feel? Because obviously there's a lot of change going on. You talk about Andy Rolls coming in and all these other off-field staff and the takeover. Does, is there a kind of feeling of sort of enthusiasm and, and kind of around the club at the moment? Well, obviously, when there's a lot of change, there's a lot of uncertainty. And like I said, listen, for all change and all positivity, there's going to be negativity because. You build relationships. It's been documented that Matt Gill and Joe Nash are less than football club. So it's hard to me to talk about all oh, all the roses and blah de blah de blah when certain people have have lost their jobs. If you know what I mean, it's a, it's the football business. I even touched on it. It's like when the club got relegated, Edwina, people like that, secretaries, they lose their jobs. It's football is a it is a very cutthroat business and people lose their jobs but it keeps rolling it's like you've forgotten um so like i said there is a lot of ca- there's going to be a lot of casualties along the way and um at the end of the day if ipswich goes on to bigger and better things then you can live with the casualties if i mean like i even said if if i was told i was there was no role for me he was bringing in a 23 manager and then Ipswich got promoted the next season, then I'll be going fair play. Change, if you know what I mean? You, you could, at the end of the day, all we want is what's best for the football club and what's best for the football club is promotion. So um, if we get the promotion in, in the next two seasons is what is being obviously asked for, then um, the changes and the takeover and everything will be well worth it. And um, yeah, I'm just going on my personal opinion and what I've seen with the change and Mark Ashton coming in and the new owners and it's all positive. Um, and I'd be really excited if uh, if I was an Ipswich fan um, at home. It'd be interesting to see what the, the season tickets will be, but hopefully we get a few signings in and then this place will be bouncing. And um, you, we're not mentioned, well, you, You've mentioned Terry Butcher a couple of times. How's it been working with working with him because I don't think you knew each other very well did you before he before you sort of became 23 it was crazy so obviously I, I know Terry we, you, you bump into place but I didn't I wouldn't class Terry as a someone I really really knew well or I wouldn't class as a friend so when I um, when I was given the role as 23 they said Terry was going to be there to assist you um, he was only going to be part time he was going to do one day a week and to a game and Terry basically basically working for nothing was with me every day um, and the, probably the first real time I came across Terry is we did a a dinner and we were guest speakers at a dinner it was me, Ray Parler and Terry Butcher and obviously I knew Terry standing in the game but I didn't realise that he's like up there with the gazers and that national treasure, I just couldn't believe it it was just like why are me why are me and Ray Parler in? No one's even <laughs> interested in hearing us or thinking it's all about Terry and his World Cup stories and the headband and the Maradona and just going you know, sometimes you don't appreciate how big they are until you see them in in the presence of other people. So that was probably the first reel when I was like, Wow, you're miles bigger than I even I could imagine with with the, the national with the national population. So, um, yeah, so obviously, like I said, 
and we're fans of the football club, but he, and like I said, I thought I was a big fan, but like every message that he delivers to players, it's always about this badge. Everything he says, honestly, the pride he has for this football club, he just like, everything, you represent this badge, it's all about this badge. Do you know how important this badge is? And you just, he's inspiring. He inspires me how like, how committed to this football club he is and what he's done for this club. And um, and I, I, I remember doing an article with your thing and I was still from that day when Brian, because young players, they obviously think they know Terry, but they don't know Terry. And it was young Twanda. And Brian went, do you know, you, you, yeah, Terry Butcher. <laughs> you go, but do you know about Terry Butcher? And Brian gets the picture out with the bandages, right? And Twanda was like, you could see the admiral. That's Terry. I've seen that picture a hundred times. Went, yeah, of course that's Terry. And it's like, they couldn't believe that it was Terry Butcher. They like, obviously, yeah, Terry Butcher used to play for Ipswich in England, but when they see the picture and they can really identify with that person, they were like blown away and just, just like, it's brilliant. We could be 4-0 up and if we can see the goal in the last minute, honestly, Terry's boot and ball bottles, they're like, the clean sheet means everything to him and getting that standards to the defenders about do not switch off. It's just like, so inspiring. It's like the closest person I've worked to at that age was Sir Bobby and like to have that enthusiasm and passion still at that age is pff, speaks volumes for the character. And um, yeah, I class Terry as a friend now. So um, not just a colleague, he is a friend. So um, I love Terry. I can see why everyone idolizes the guy. I really we haven't care. had a we haven't had a Sir Bobby story, and you you did trial the <laughs> Eric Gates story earlier on. <laughs> yeah. Go on, tell us tell us the uh, the Sir Bobby stroke Eric Gates story. So this uh, another thing what makes me laugh is that so like when Ipswich having bad times and again I'm not on social media and they've got Mick Mills on on the radio and. They have, a few, they have a few fans ring in and like and like staff or players are talking about we're getting absolutely battered and da 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 and I'm thinking battered? Do you call that battered? That is like tame. Mick Mills trying to slaughter you is very, very tame, trust me. He's been very kind of neutral on it and like the fans, I said the fans are venting, but that's not venting venting. So I go, I go back to my time at Newcastle. They had it was every night they had a radio show from five o'clock in the evening to seven o'clock, and it was called the Free Legend Show. So it was um, the Newcastle legend on it was uh, Malcolm uh, Malcolm McDonald, uh, Bernie Slaven was Middlesbrough, and Eric Gates was Sunderland. And um, I was driving back from somewhere. And I thought, let me put on the free legends. Let's oh no! They're talking about. <laughs> and it was it was on the thing of it must have been on about the Brat Pack of Newcastle. And Eric Gates was absolutely slaughtering me. And I think him and Bernie Slaven were having this debate about Jonathan Green, and because Jonathan Green was now playing for Middlesbrough, and he was probably had about three good games on the trot, and they were like, he's better than Dyer, and just absolutely, it was ridiculous and. Fans were jumping on the bandwagon and saying, yeah, they're crap and all this. So I was peed off. I was thinking, Eric Gates is an Ipswich guy. He's got to be sticking up for the Ipswich boys. So the next day I've gone into training and I've gone, Gaffer, by the way, Eric Gates, what? What was he picking on me for? And bloody <laughs> blind. He went, what do you mean? I said, he was absolutely sore me saying this and that and I shouldn't be picked by you and this and that. He went, you know why he, he's doing this, son? I said, no, he went, because you were better than him. And I went, what? <laughs> he went, if I was to pick my best tips at 11, you'd be the number 10, not Eric Gates. And he knows that. And he's jealous of you. So I thought, he spun it in a way where I was thinking, oh, he, he's just jealous because I'm better than him. <laughs> so he just spun it away that way. And then, like, obviously, when I did my research and you see the videos, this Eric Gates was a proper baller, so... I think Bobby was just playing mind games with me there. He probably, uh, I wasn't as good as Eric Gates. But again, just that making you feel 
special and that. Hang on a minute, you're better than Eric Gates. Don't worry about what he's saying. Just made me feel, yeah, what a prick. <laughs> but he's obviously an Ipswich legend and obviously, again, I get it. It's part of, you've got to give an opinion and everyone's entitled to their opinion. So I've got no problem with Gatesy, but I always say Bobby thinks I'm better than you. So <laughs> that'll do for me. <laughs> well, I think we've covered an absolutely enormous amount there, haven't we, Ben? Yeah, Kieran, I mean, thank you so much for your time. Um, just to our listeners and to the Ipswich fans, obviously, I'm on the, Phil's been doing it as a journalist, but I'm a, I'm a fan, basically, who has a, has a podcast. So thank you on behalf of everybody for your career and everything you've done for the club. Have you got a message to our listeners and to the Ipswich fans? Oh, well, one, I'm shocked that of your knowledge of the game, you actually, a lot of media people and that, they talk a good game and have no knowledge <laughs> of the game, but you've actually done your research. Unlike Phil, you have actually <laughs> have more knowledge of the game. So I give you credit for that. I could talk football to you all day. I couldn't talk football to Phil all day because he just <laughs> talks nonsense. And to all the Ipswich fans and Twitter, and honestly, I know it's been a miserable three or four. It's probably, well, you could say it's been a miserable, massive period in the club's history. But I really feel positive with the takeover. Um, these people are serious people. Uh, they're going to give it a real good go. I've met the chairman. Um, he's a fantastic guy. Obviously, I can't speak highly enough about the manager. And um, I'm telling you, there's going to be exciting times ahead. And um, I'm just glad that I'll be having a front row ticket to witness it. I hope you lot are allowed in Portman Road too because, um, yeah, um, I can't go. I wish I could go into more <laughs> detail, but what I'm hearing, it's, it's all positive and uh yeah, uh, we're all going to be a, have a football club that represents us and does us proud, I think. So, uh, yeah, roll on 2021-22 season. Thanks for watching or listening to the Blue Monday podcast. And thanks to those of you who have kindly supported the channel via Acast or YouTube donations. You can follow us at the usual places on social media and don't forget to subscribe so that you get our new shows first. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.